What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the show, Fantasy Football You, Fantasy Football Friday, Week 8 Edition. We have a lot to cover in this episode to get you guys all the need-to-know information for Week 8. We have favorable matchups, non-favorable matchups, games to watch, sports betting, who needs this week, and an exclusive breakdown of the NFL trade deadline that happens next Tuesday. We're going to cover it all. It's a must-see information. I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's get it. Now, before we get right into the content, I do want to put out there our social media handles just so that you guys are aware that you guys can follow us and stay up to date with all the need to know information other than just the podcast. For Twitter, follow us at fantasy f underscore u that's f-a-n-t-a-s-y-f underscore u follow our instagram at fantasy football uni that's f-a-n-t-a-s-y-f-o-o-t-b-a-l-l underscore u-n-i and also look us up on facebook there is a facebook page for us guys it's in the group section. Look up Fantasy Football University. We're out there. Click that join button. I'll get you guys admitted immediately to get all your questions answered and be part of the fantasy football community. But without further ado, let's get right into it. All right, let's talk about some favorable matchups going into week eight. We'll start with the quarterbacks up first. First up, Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz has been playing well for the Philadelphia Eagles over the last couple weeks, especially for fantasies, averaging right around 27 fantasy points over the last two weeks. That's great. They're playing the Dallas Cowboys, and if you know anything about the Dallas Cowboys, their defense is chips this year. Dallas is allowed 16 passing touchdowns on the year, which is third most in the NFL. That Dallas defense has only got one interception on the year, which is great. If you know anything about Carson Wentz and the amount of times that he's turned the ball over this year, it should be no or maybe one interception for Carson Wentz against this Dallas defense. And we saw last week Kyle Allen for the Washington football team be a very serviceable quarterback in this one. And to be quite honest, the game script was that they were up by a lot the entire game. He didn't even need to have a 25-30 point game. So I do think that Carson Wentz plays well. He gets out and uses his legs against that Dallas defense. Carson Wentz, favorable matchup for Week 8. Moving on over to Tom Brady. Tom Brady playing the New York Giants. Tom Brady has been playing extremely well for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the last several weeks. The timing each and every single week is getting better and better with his receivers. And Tom Brady really looks like he's only like 25 out there, dropping absolute dimes to his wideouts. Carson Wentz played very well against the New York Giants in Week 7, so you would expect that Tom Brady, being a better quarterback than Carson Wentz, does the exact same. New York Giants, 24th in passing yards allowed on the season. They're 21st in opposing QBR rating and the 7th highest pass completions against them on the year. So expect for Tom Brady to have another great day against that New York Giants defense. Derek Carr taking on the Browns. The Browns have allowed the fifth most passing touchdowns on the year so far with 16. Derek Carr is due for a bounce back game, in my opinion. He's played solid for the um, Las Vegas Raiders. Last week was a down week for him. And honestly, I'm really looking to see that this this is a good game script if you're Derek Carr. I think that's going to be up and down. I think Derek Carr is going to have to throw some touchdowns. Um, and you know, the Browns, they're most yards allowed on the season to opposing quarterbacks. So you have to love that if you're Derek Carr heading into this one against the Cleveland Browns. Now I want to move on over to the running back position. Those running backs that got favorable matchups, in my opinion, are Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt with the deduction of Odell Beckham Jr. I feel like Kareem Hunt is now arguably the number one wideout or playmaker for this Cleveland Browns team, right? Without Nick Chubb, without Odell Beckham, we were talking at the beginning of the season about Kareem Hunt and his involvement in this offense due to the amount of um, mouths they already had to feed. Well, now they're all basically gone. The only one that's left is Jarvis Landry for right now. I think Kareem Hunt gets a heavy workload this week against the Las Vegas Raiders, not only in running production, but also in the pass production. And you got to love that if you're in a PPR league for Kareem Hunt. Raiders allowed most rushing touchdowns on the year so far. 
They're ninth in yards per carried allowed with 4.6. So again, you got to love this sort of matchup for Kareem Hunt and the amount of potential production that that'll be there for him. On the other side of the ball, Josh Jacobs playing against that Cleveland Browns defense. We just saw Giovanni Bernard play really well against the Cleveland Browns. You got to hope that Josh Jacobs gets a very similar production against the Cleveland Browns. Yes, Giovanni Bernard did have more pass passing um, receiving ability than Josh Jacobs probably does, but you have to hope that Josh Jacobs is still able to have a solid day. And also with, with Josh Jacobs, you think about how he didn't have an offensive line last week. They only ran him 10 times. You would have to think that John Gruden wants to get back to that smash mouth football that they love so much and impose their will on the Cleveland Browns. The Browns tied for fourth most rushing touchdowns allowed on the year with nine. So you have to think that the Las Vegas Raiders and John Gruden go hard at that Cleveland Browns defense on the ground. Last but not least for the running backs, let's look at Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, last week, a little bit down of a week for him with only 75 yards and a touchdown. It's crazy to say that because most people's good weeks are 75 rushing yards and a touchdown. But that was a little bit of a down week for him against the Pittsburgh Steelers. This week, bouncing back against Cincinnati Bengals. You got to love that. Kareem Hunt last week did very well against the Cincinnati defense. Cincinnati's allowed tied for the first most 20-yard rushes on the season with nine. (laughs) Derrick Henry rips that off basically on every single carry. Are you kidding me? He's going to have a field day against the Cincinnati defense, and Cincinnati's sixth most yards per carry allowed on the season so far. Derrick Henry is going to have a field day against this Cincinnati defense. Now it's time to check out those wideouts, favorable matchups for the wideouts. Travis Fulgham taking on the Dallas Cowboys. Like we've already mentioned about the Dallas Cowboys, their defense sucks. Absolute trash cans. They've allowed 16 touchdown passes on the years, two wideouts on the season so far. You hate to see it. Love to see it if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan and Travis Fulgham. He's wide receiver one in that Philadelphia offense. You got to love that if you're Travis Fulgham and if you're going to play him. going in, Again, going against that bad Dallas defense, you want to play this kid. Um, and he's played very consistent for the Philadelphia Eagles offense. I mean, he's averaging 19.2 fantasy points per game so far in the games that he's played in. Start Travis Fulgham this week against Dallas. Scotty Miller taking on the New York Giants. This might be Scotty Miller's last hurrah out here for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Played very, very well last week against the Vegas Raiders. But without the addition of Chris Godwin, this week with a surgically repaired index finger, he's going to have some opportunities again. The Giants have allowed fifth most receiving yards, two receivers on the season so far, seventh most receptions allowed on the year so far. I think this is the last hurrah for Scotty Miller. He might know that. He might be trying to just ball out before Antonio Brown comes over and really imposes his will on this Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense. Moving on over to... Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk taking on Seattle Seahawks. This really can be said also about George Kittle. It's in the tight end section, but I really do believe that these both these statements are true regarding both players. They're taking on Seattle. There's no Debo Samuel in this one. The running backs are all injured, basically. Seattle, the second most receptions allowed on the year. And Seattle, second most receiving yards allowed on the year. I think Brandon Ayuk assumes that wide receiver one role in San Francisco with Debo Samuels out. And George Kittle is just going to do George Kittle things, man. He's going to absolutely impose his will on the Seattle Seahawks. Terrible defense. I think that both players, Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle, are must-starts this week. Next tight end, Darren Waller taking on Cleveland. Cleveland, third most yards allowed through the air on the season so far. Third most receptions allowed on the year so far. I think Darren Waller is that number one receiver for the Vegas Raiders. You know, people are like, oh, Nelson Aguilar. Oh, um, Henry Ruggs. No, no, no. The reality is it's Darren Waller. Darren Waller is the do-everything player for that Vegas offense. I'm starting Darren Waller this week. I think that he's absolutely going to impose his will on Cleveland's defense. Start Darren Waller. 
Last but not least, Juano Smith. Haven't mentioned his name in a couple weeks. In fact, he's been on the non-favorable matchup list in the last couple weeks. He's taking on Cincinnati. We just saw all of Cleveland's tight ends all take turns beating up on the Cincinnati defense last week. I think Juano Smith snaps his non-favorable matchup streaks with this one in week eight against the Cincinnati Bengals. He's due for a bounce back game. He really, really is. It's got to love the matchup. Start Juano Smith this week against Cincinnati. Now let's roll on over to the non-favorable matchups of week eight, starting off with the quarterback position, Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford is taking on Indianapolis. Indianapolis, lowest passing yards allowed so far on the season. They've only allowed seven passing touchdowns, which is tied for second fewest in the NFL. And they have 10 interceptions on the season. This does not sound good for Matthew Stafford going into Indianapolis and playing them. Tua Tungavailoa. It's Tua time, baby. Yeah, sit him. Non-favorable matchup against the Rams. Not exactly sure why the Miami Dolphins thought this was a great time to start Tua. And a lot of us can get on the hype train about Tua and immediately plugging him into our lineup, especially if we have a quarterback on a bye week. Don't do it. I'm telling you guys right now, don't do it. Tua is going to have a tough day against the Rams. The Rams have only allowed eight touchdown passes so far on the season. There are 12 fewest passing yards allowed on the season. And this is the first start for Tua. I mean, this he got tough hand. Tough hand against the Los Angeles Rams. Last but not least for the quarterbacks, Big Ben. Big Ben taking on Baltimore. Baltimore's D has been solid. They've only allowed eight touchdown passes on the year so far. Six fewest passing yards allowed on the season. And it's an interdivision game. I think this is very important to note because like most interdivision matchups, you know those quarterbacks, especially if they've been around for a while, and how to stop them. Regardless of how good your defense is, nine times out of ten, they usually know how to stop you. So I'm sitting Big Ben this week against the Baltimore Ravens. Now I want to talk about the running backs. I got non-favorable matchups this week. Let's talk about Melvin Gordon taking on the Los Angeles Chargers. Chargers have only allowed four touchdown rushes on the season, which is tied for first. The 11th fewest rushing yards allowed on the season. And with this game script, I think that Denver falls behind early in this one, and they result to passing the ball quite a bit. Not that Melvin Gordon is not a capable pass catcher, but if Philip Lindsay is healthy enough to play, I think Philip Lindsay in this one is the more serviceable back against the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, if Lindsay doesn't play, we're talking a different story, but I do think the only benefit that Melvin Gordon is going to bring to you is his receiving ability out of the backfield. DeAndre Swift taking on Indianapolis, another Detroit Lions player. Indianapolis, third fewest rushing yards on the year so far. They've only allowed four touchdowns on the year on the ground, and They've only allowed two 20-yard rushes on the year. Now, when you think about DeAndre Swift, and we've talked about it on this podcast before, is that his really gifted ability right now and the way that Detroit's using him isn't exactly on the ground, but I'm not exactly seeing him being very involved in the passing game either. That Indianapolis Colts defense is legit. They are for real. I'm being very cautious about DeAndre Swift, especially since he's played well in the last couple games. I would take your foot off the gas pedal on this one, think about it for a moment, and possibly sit him. Last but not least, the Seattle Seahawks running backs. I don't know who it is going to be this week. As of right now, it could be Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde's injured with a hamstring injury. Could be Travis Homer, who's in concussion protocol, I believe. Could be the rookie Dallas. Or it could be uh, Chris Carson. I mean, Chris Carson's more on the unlikely side, but doesn't matter who it is. I'm not liking this matchup against the 49ers. The 49ers have only allowed four rushing uh, touchdowns on the year so far. The Seattle Seahawks aren't going to have their number one running back, which is very pivotal um, in in playing against the 49ers defense. And we saw what happened when they tried to play against Arizona and Chris Carson got hurt. There really wasn't all that much cooking on the ground. Carlos Hyde got open, got, you know, some yards, but it wasn't it wasn't like Chris Carson. That that Seattle running game was just not the same without Chris Carson in there. And especially when we think about the um the non-number one back coming in 
and running the ball for or or pass protecting for uh, Russell Wilson, you can probably expect that he's not going out on many passes. Uh, he's probably going to be run, uh, you know, pass blocking quite a bit, um, helping out the offensive line. So I do think that it's just it's just a weird non non favorable matchup for the Seattle Seahawks running backs in this one. Moving over to the tight end position, we got the Indianapolis Colts tight ends: Trey Burton, Mo Alley Cox, and Jack Doyle. Don't start any of them. Don't start them. Playing Detroit. Detroit in the last four weeks have only allowed 4.83 points per game, two tight ends. They've allowed a total of seven receptions, 75 yards in the last four weeks. That's the lowest in the NFL. I'm not starting any one of those Indianapolis Colts tight ends, regardless of how much Phillip Rivers uses them. Hunter Henry taking on Denver. Denver. Second lowest points per game to tight end in the last four weeks, only 6.8 points. think that Hunter Henry has has been on steady decline. I haven't really seen him do all that much. He wasn't that productive last week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm not starting him again this week against the Denver Broncos. Last but not least for the tight ends, TJ Hawkinson taking on Indianapolis Colts, another Detroit Lions player. Indianapolis. Third, low, uh, third lowest points per game, two tight ends, last four weeks, only allowing seven points per game, two tight ends. They've averaged, uh, they've allowed 11 receptions and 102 yards in the last four weeks, and their defense has been solid all year round. I'm, I'm, I'm really not looking forward to TJ Hawkinson, not looking forward to Matthew Stafford, I'm not looking forward to DeAndre Swift. I don't think that many of these Detroit Lions players play very well against the Indianapolis Colts. Sliding on over to the next position, wide receivers that got non-favorable matchups this week, Devontae Parker. Now, it is Wednesday. Devontae Parker did not practice today, but I do want to mention that if he does play, taking on the Los Angeles Rams, that it's a non-favorable matchup for him. He's got to play Jalen Ramsey on the other side of the ball. I don't like that at all. He has a new quarterback, and the Rams only fifth Wide receiver touchdowns on the year with eight allowed. I don't like this for Devontae Parker. I don't like the quarterback change against the Los Angeles Rams. Everything is just kind of like the perfect storm for, honestly, to, to play none of the Miami Dolphin receivers. So, it sounds bad. I hope that the Tua, uh, Tua time works out, but I just don't think that's going to happen this week against the Rams. Next, Chase Claypool. Last week, we saw Chase Claypool return to earth. We saw Malcolm Butler shadow cover him around the field, and he put the clamps on him. He did. He got one target on the day. I mean, Big Ben just wasn't looking for him. I think this is a bad matchup for him against the Baltimore Ravens. I think that Marcus Peters might be doing somewhat of the same thing. I can't remember if Marcus Peters goes side sideline to sideline or if he only plays one side of the field. can't remember, but... You can probably bet that the Baltimore Ravens have got something dialed up for Chase Claypool. Baltimore, ninth fewest yards allowed to receivers on the year. In addition, only eight passing touchdowns allowed on the year so far. So I just don't think that this is a a solid matchup for Chase Claypool. Last wide receiver, Stephon Diggs taking on New England. Stephon Diggs is going to get the Stephon Gilmore treatment. Stephon v. Stephon. It's going to be a tough one for Stefan Diggs. Patriots second lowest passing yards allowed on the season. They've only allowed nine touchdown passes on the season so far, and they've allowed the fewest receptions in the NFL to this point. So I do think that Stefan Diggs, if, if you're going to start a Buffalo Bills player wide out, I'm actually looking towards Cole Beasley in this one. I think that Cole Beasley proves to be more valuable than Stefan Diggs. Now let's take it on over to who needs this week. As we've talked about before, anybody that makes this segment is a guy that I believe needs this week, whether it's for his job's sake or there's a individual coming back from an injury that might be taking snaps. So let's jump right into it. Number one, Josh Allen. Josh Allen over the last three weeks is QB 24 with four touchdown passes and three interceptions. People already raising questions about Josh Allen with no touchdown passes against the Jets. And the weeks prior to that, what has happened to Josh Allen? I don't know. I do not know. Four touchdowns and three interceptions in the last three weeks. 
not Josh Allen-like at all. He looks to get back on track against the New England Patriots. It's an interdivision game. We're hoping that he does for fantasy owners. People are constantly asking whether to start or sit him because of the downward progression over the last three weeks. Moving on over to Nick Foles. This one's pretty self-explanatory. You hear about Nick Foles after this loss on um, Monday Night Football against the Rams, and there was already questions going into the game about Nick Foles' capability and the offense for the Chicago Bears and what's really going on with it. I mean, they look bad. Um, you know, they, their team might have been 5-2 and two or 5-1 and one going into that game, not 5-2, and two, but um, there's, their offense was certainly not a 5-1 and one offense going into that game at all. Uh, they pretty stagnant, can't run the ball, really can't pass the ball either. I know the Rams made them look way worse than they actually are, but Nick Foles, there's questions about him. Last three weeks, QB 30 with only two touchdown passes and four interceptions. He takes on the New Orleans Saints. I'm looking for him to bounce back this week. Moving on over to the running backs, Ezekiel Elliott taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. Last week, we saw, I, I think I might have saw Zeke's like lowest performance of fantasy football history, to be honest. 6.1 fantasy points. Not good. 12 rush attempts. The last three weeks, he's RB 26 with 41.6 points total. For those of you keeping track at home, that's roughly around 13 and a half fantasy points. And you're like, oh, well, that's really good. It's Ezekiel Elliott. You know, like 13 and a half is solid production. But we've seen a decrease of production since Andy Dalton has taken the helm. So I really, really am looking for Ezekiel Elliott to bounce back this week against the Philadelphia Eagles. Another running back, Joshua Kelly. <laughs> Joshua Kelly. This kid, last three games, RB50. He only, he's only had 19.2 points total in those last three games. 10.3, 4.8, and 4.3. I get questions all the time about Joshua Kelly and whether or not people should start him. No! No! Until further notice, no. I don't care that he just got 10 fantasy points this last week. The last three games. He is 10.3 is his highest. He is not a must-star by any stretch of the means. In fact, he's not even worthy of a flex spot, in my opinion. He's barely rosterable, in my opinion, with Justin Jackson really taking over as the lead back in Los Angeles. This week, he looks to bounce back against the Denver Broncos. Cooper Cup taking on Miami. Cooper Cup, the last three weeks, wide receiver 60. He's made the media quite a bit about a couple weeks ago, not being on the same page with jo uh, with uh, Jared Goff and how they just kind of looked, looked off. Well, I mean, the stats don't lie. Over the last three weeks, wide receiver 60, he's only got 27.6 fantasy points. This last week in week seven, he had 11.9. Week six, 4.1. And week five, 11.6. We're like, well... He's cracked double digits in two of those three games. I would respond and say, yes. But Josh Reynolds is actually over the last three three games ahead of him at wide receiver 44. So take that into consideration. Not good for Cooper Cup. He's got to bounce back this week against Miami, and, he, and he's got the matchup to do it. Last but not least for the wide receivers, Mike Evans. Mike Evans, this is your last chance, bro. Last chance before AB comes to town. You take on the New York Giants without Chris Godwin. You haven't had a touchdown in the last two games. I know you started off the season with like seven touchdowns in seven in six games or something like that. But, dude, where have you been? Wide receiver 72 over the last three weeks. 22.8 points total. That's not one game total. Wow. You have everything that you want right in front of you as far as not having the number of uh, mouths to feed in Tampa Bay for this week. Go out and get it against the New York Giants. Moving on over to the tight ends, Juwano Smith. We've talked about Juwano Smith a little bit already, but Juwano Smith has not had the best of afternoons the last couple of weeks. In fact, he's tight end 20 the last three weeks with 25.2 points total. He's had seven receptions and only 62 yards 
two touchdowns, but that's it. That is it over the last three games. That's it. That's not good. He has the opportunity to get a solid workload and production standpoint against the Cincinnati Bengals. Look for him to have a bounce back week. Last but not least, Mike Kosicki. Mike Kosicki over the last three weeks, tight end 34. Only 16.6 fantasy points total. Six receptions, 106 yards, no touchdowns. It's not going to be easy. It's taking on the Los Angeles Rams. It's not going to be easy by any stretch of the means. But for fantasy's sake, people still have Mike Kosicki going in some of their leagues. Whether it's just streaming him or they actually believe in him. I'm not starting him against the Rams, but you hope that Mike Kosicki, for his fantasy's sake and his fantasy value, can get back to production against the Los Angeles Rams. Now let's take a step on over to check out some games to watch for this weekend. Number one on our list, the New England Patriots taking on the Buffalo Bills. Why is this game important? Well, this should be important to every football fan around the country because this might be the first time that we see the New England Patriots 2-5 and five in a long time. Truthfully. Not only that, but the Buffalo Bills have an opportunity to really take command of the AFC East and put the Patriots out of their misery. I mean, would it be too early to say that the Patriots have no shot at making the playoffs if they drop to 2-5? and five? I think so. I, I think that we can, we can start making those assumptions. Considering how bad they've looked recently, we might be able to make those assumptions. Even with the seventh the seventh team addition to the playoffs this year, the extra wild card team, I think that it would be safe to say, or arguable to say, the Patriots aren't going to make the playoffs this year. The Bills try to advance to six and two with the win. It's going to be a Stefan Diggs versus Stefan Gilmore show. It's going to be a great matchup to watch. We're going to be able to see Cam Newton take on Josh Allen and see if Josh Allen can bounce back over the last several weeks of having kind of down weeks against a team that has got a pretty solid defense. So I'm interested to see what the Buffalo Bills can do against this New England Patriots defense. Next up, San Francisco versus Seattle. San Francisco enters this one 4-3, and three, Seattle 5-1. and one. Again, statistics-wise, looking at the records, you'd think, oh, Seattle should win this game. Well, San Francisco is a really, really solid 4-3 and three team. The record just throw it out the window. I mean, they play in a hard division. They've had injuries up the wazoo, and Kyle Shanahan just continues to put out winning squads. I mean, it just happens. You know, minus the blemish of the Miami Dolphins game where they absolutely got routed, this team has been solid. Absolutely solid. I mean, you take away that Miami game, you know, they could be 5-2, and 4-2. So... You look at it, it's an interdivision game, which is extremely important. You know, if the Seattle Seahawks drop two straight, <laughs> San Francisco's right in the thick of it. I mean, they're already right in the thick of it now, but they will be literally right in the thick of it and have a game on Seattle already for the standings within the division. And I want to see how the Seattle Seahawks respond to the Arizona Cardinals beating them. Really lighting up that defense. I want to see what San Francisco does and attacks that defense. Kyle Shanahan's a master play caller. I'm interested to see how Seattle's defense responds. Next up, New Orleans Saints versus the Chicago Bears. As we've already kind of talked about with the Chicago Bears, there's a lot of criticism going around. Five and two, sure as hell don't look. I Honestly, I, would, I, would, I literally would say the San Francisco 49ers at four and three are better than the Chicago Bears at five and two. I would have said the San Francisco 49ers at 3 and 3 were better than the Chicago Bears at 5 and 1. So, big game for the Chicago Bears. They have an opportunity to bounce back after getting embarrassed on Monday Night Football against the Rams where they couldn't move the ball, they couldn't do anything. I was I was pissed to watch that game. They looked horrific. Absolutely horrific. New Orleans, what do you guys do? Does Michael Thomas play? How do you guys manufacture a win against a solid Chicago defense? Emmanuel Sanders is looking like he's going to be out again with the COVID situation. 
How do you guys respond to that? Traquan Smith, he was kind of irrelevant last week. Who steps up? Who's going to be the man to step up? Can't just be Alvin Kamara out there. You got to find other ways to win. Hopefully, Michael Thomas is on the field for you guys, but I'm interested to see how they handle the Chicago Bears defense if Michael Thomas does not play. And last but not least, Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Baltimore Ravens. Doesn't get any better than this, folks. Steelers, only undefeated team left in the league. Ravens at 5-1. and one. Regardless of the records, this is a huge game for interdivision play. Always is. It's such a great game to watch. I had the privilege of being at the game last year in Pittsburgh. It was a phenomenal game, even though the Steelers fell short. But it was a great game. Absolutely great game. Um, you know, I want to see how Lamar and Pittsburgh's defense goes. I want to see how the Steelers' defense respond to Lamar Jackson and stop him or look to stop him and the ways that they strategize around Lamar. And I want to see Lamar Jackson and what he can do in the passing game against Pittsburgh. Haven't really seen him much all year. They say that they have it. They only use it when they need to. I'm not convinced. I just don't think that they have the weapons, truthfully, to necessarily do that against a good football team on defense. Last but not least, I want to see how Big Ben responds through three interceptions last week, two of them in the second half. Steelers didn't really score the Steelers didn't score at all in the second half of that football game. I want to see how Big Ben responds and if they can get this offense clicking like they did in the first half against Tennessee Titans. Now let's take a look at the NFL trade deadline approaching on 11-3. That's Tuesday. This Tuesday, coming up Tuesday at 4 p.m., it's going to be a big, big set of events that happen from now until Tuesday, and I have a couple ideas of, of places and players that I think should go and teams that should look at them. Number one for me, I think that the Green Bay Packers definitely need to go out there and sign a wide receiver. Now, you might have seen this on ESPN or wherever you get your, your football data. It's the truth. The Green Bay Packers definitely need to go out there and sign another wide receiver. Alan Lazard is still hurt. They're saying they're hopeful that he's going to come back sooner rather than later, but why not take the chance and go out there and sign a wide receiver? Right? Why not? I've seen rumors about possibly going after Will Fuller, possibly Golden Tate, Michael Gallup. Other names that come to mind for me are. Maybe someone like T.Y. Hilton. T.Y. Hilton is not getting a lot of love right now in Indianapolis at all. In fact, T.Y. Hilton, I mean, he goes games where he gets one catch for 12 yards. Given the right price, you could probably pry him away, and he'd be a great asset to that Green Bay Packers offense. I could see somebody like Jameson Crowder going on over there. Look at Devontae Adams as a nice... Nice all-around threat, but it would be really nice to have somebody like a Jamison Crowder going over in the middle and catching the slot passes. Or how about somebody like Julian Edelman? Hmm. Julian Edelman, he don't look too happy being on that New England Patriots team, that losing New England Patriots team. He's not happy about getting like one or two targets a game and the ball's thrown in the dirt. He's probably going to be on the move too. To a location yet? I don't know. But I'm telling you right now, if I'm the Green Bay Packers, you want somebody that's as hardworking as, as anybody in the NFL, you go after Julian Edelman. He's been coached right. He's hella strong. He's going to give you everything that you want in a slot receiver going over the middle. Green Bay Packers have also been looking at somebody like Alshon Jeffrey. Now, I personally, I'm not on the wagon with the Alshon Jeffrey one for Green Bay. For the simple fact that, again, Green Bay really doesn't have anybody that works over the middle. Devontae Adams is the kind of do-it-all player for the Green Bay Packers. When it was Devontae Adams and Jordy Nelson there, Jordy Nelson kind of assumed that mid-roll sort of guy. Yes, he did catch passes outside the numbers, but a lot of his targets were over the middle. Not short, but 10, 15 yards, you know, post routes or... Um, in routes, whatever it is, 
they were a great tandem to have. And I'm looking for the Green Bay Packers to go out and sign somebody to kind of replicate that tandem. What about somebody like DJ Shark? Huh? Or one of those other Jacksonville Jaguar wide receivers. Now, the reason why I compose these ideas from these teams is because they all suck. They're probably all trying to unload their rosters with any value that they have and really build for next year, right? Especially if their guys aren't happy and the guys want out. What about somebody like DJ Shark? He hasn't been playing very well for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Is it possible for the Green Bay Packers to go out and sign somebody like him? I don't know. We'll see. Looking at the Cleveland Browns now. Cleveland Browns losing Odell Beckham for the season. You can't sit here and possibly tell me that the Cleveland Browns have a chance to win a Super Bowl without a number one wideout. And don't tell me Jarvis Landry is their number one wideout. Or don't tell me that Donovan Peoples Pope, Pope Jr., is whatever his name is, is going to, no disrespect to him, by the way, is going to be another wideout for them. He's a rookie. Yes, he had some big grabs in this last game against the Cincinnati Bengals, but he's not, he's not going to replace Odell Beckham Jr. And to be quite honest, Jarvis Landry isn't going to replace Odell Beckham Jr. for the simple fact that Odell had a very specific skill set that Jarvis Landry just really doesn't possess. Jarvis Landry is a possession receiver. He's, he's your typical slot guy. Who is Cleveland going to go out and try to pry away from somebody? Saw earlier today, and most of you guys probably already seen this already, but you know the Cleveland Browns talking about Adam Thielen and trying to pry him away from the Minnesota Vikings. If I'm Minnesota, quite frankly, I would not want to give up Adam Thielen. And and it's already unlikely that it's going to happen, but I'm sitting here thinking if I'm Minnesota, I just let one of our our best wide receivers go, one of the best wide receivers in the league, and Stephon Diggs go to the Bills. And now we're going to let Adam Thielen walk out the front door too? Why? The reason why Stephon Diggs wanted out was because he wasn't getting the production. Adam Thielen was the number one guy. So you let him walk. You, you're going to let Adam Thielen walk too? What, what the hell are you – what are you playing for? You got Dalvin Cook at that point. That is it. You, you have nothing else. Yes, Justin, Justin Jefferson is an emerging star, but it does not mean all of a sudden the rookie becomes the guy. You can't have that. So I don't think that Cleveland is going to be lucky enough to get Adam Thielen to their roster. But Cleveland, you got to do something. You absolutely got to do something because the way that you guys are right now, I could very easily see you guys falling off the tracks without a number one wideout like Odell Beckham Jr. Moving on over to the Saints. Let's talk about the Saints and their wideout situation. Michael Thomas, banged up, suspended, banged up, practicing, not practicing, Questions all over the place with Michael Thomas. Hasn't played since week one. Manuel Sanders gets COVID. Going to be missing his second game in a row with the COVID protocol. Who do they got? They don't really got much at all in New Orleans for a wide receiving court. Nobody. Traquan Smith. Jared Cook. Your best wideout is Alvin Kamara out of the backfield. You basically, what happens when these wide receivers go out is you shift Alvin Kamara to basically the slot and have Latavius Murray take early rushing downs and have Alvin Kamara be basically your wide receiver. Don't get me wrong. Very talented. can do that all day long. But you got to have someone else. You've absolutely got to have someone else. At least for the, at least for depth, you know, if Emmanuel Sanders and Michael Thomas both come back healthy, great play, great, but just have somebody else there for depth, looking for the New Orleans Saints to kind of shake it up and make a play here in free um, uh, at the end of the trade deadline. Last but not least, Seattle's uh, 
the Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia, you guys really need a wide receiver. Now, I know that they're testing the waters with Alshon Jeffrey, and I don't blame them. They're getting pissed because this kid has not played. One minute, it's an ankle injury. The next minute, it's a hamstring injury. Now it's a calf injury. And it's just like he goes from one injury to the next. And he's been like this the last couple years that he's been with the Philadelphia Eagles. Productive when he's healthy. Not productive at all when he's not healthy. In fact, he's more of a lost cause than anything else. It's kind of like the A.J. Green of the Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia, you cannot have Travis Fulgham be your only guy. You can't do it. You need somebody else there. Right? Zach Ertz is hurt. Dallas Goddard is coming back um, off IR. But that, you literally have Travis Fulgham. That is it. And for a team that legitimately has a solid chance at winning the NFC East because of it's a shit division, you're going to need somebody else. And I do think that you guys need to target free agency, uh, target the trade deadline, and find somebody. Find somebody. Spend a penny on somebody. I think it'd be great if they could go after somebody like Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay has been rumored to potentially leave the Detroit Lions. I could see him going to Philadelphia. I could see him with I could see him with any of these teams, to be quite honest. I don't think New Orleans is going to pay the price for Kenny Galladay, but the Philadelphia Eagles might. Cleveland Browns might. I don't know what Cle- Cleveland's draft, uh, their, their salary cap right now looks like, but they've dumped an ass load of money into guys, so I wouldn't be surprised if they dump one more into Kenny Galladay or Green Bay. Go get him. He's out there. Now let's shift on over to a key defensive player that I want to just chat about. Defensive player of the year. Stephon Gilmore. There's talks about him being on the move. In fact, my sister called me up yesterday and told me that Stephon Gilmore has put his house up for sale here in New England, in Massachusetts. Now, this could be just, you didn't like that house. But usually, like we've seen with Tom Brady, your house goes up for sale. You probably go into a different team or you want out. Stephon Gilmore, why would he want to be on this New England Patriots team? They ain't going nowhere. New England might just literally be thrown in the towel at this point and saying, hey, let's get some draft capital. Let's try to, uh, to restart this thing. Let's dump off some of the salary cap hit and restart this thing. They, get, they got value for Stefan Gilmore. There's thoughts that he might be landing in Seattle, and I could see that all day long. Seattle needs one more piece on that defense after trading for uh, Everson Griffin. One more piece on that defense to really make them legit and make them not a trash can defense. Because that's literally the only thing that's holding them back from attending a Super Bowl is their trash can defense. Could definitely see him landing in Seattle. Could also see a place like the Buffalo Bills. <sighs> Buffalo Bills last couple of years been very solid on defense. This year, not so much. I think that Coach McDermott would love to have Stephon Gilmore there. Tennessee. You know Vrabel. Vrabel wants every ex-Patriots player known to man. He does. Would be a great addition for Tennessee. But here's my two flaws with the Bills in Tennessee. If you know anything about Bill Belichick, he does not want these guys playing in the AFC where he has to play them year after year after year, especially when he knows how talented they are. If the Seattle Seahawks are calling, the Buffalo Bills and the Tennessee Titans are calling, you can bet he is going to Seattle. Bill Belichick does not want to play him in the AFC, let alone the AFC East if he goes to the Bills. That just wouldn't wouldn't work. So I'm interested to see who goes after these guys and which teams make a last gasp 
here before the NFL trade deadline on Tuesday, 11-3 at 4 p.m. Now let's wrap things up with some Week 8 betting. I'm going to go down the list of uh, Vegas Insider odds, and let's chat about what I like and what I don't like to bet on this week. Indianapolis taking on the Detroit Lions. Indianapolis in this one is giving up three points to the Detroit Lions. I would be betting on the Indianapolis Colts still giving up the three points to the Detroit Lions. think that Indianapolis is just a better team. think that Detroit's defense isn't all that great, and Indianapolis is going to be able to move the ball. I think three points is right around what I think this game is going to come down to, but I do think Indianapolis pulls it out by more than three points. Minnesota taking on Green Bay. This one, Vegas has Green Bay giving up six and a half points to Minnesota. I'm taking Green Bay, giving up that six and a half. I think this is more than a one touchdown game. When push comes to shove, think that at the end of the day, Green Bay Packers win by more more than six and a half. New England versus Buffalo. Buffalo is giving up three here. I like this. I'm taking Buffalo. Think Buffalo finds a way to score points, gets in the end zone against the New England Patriots. Think that even giving them the three points, I don't think that New England can score. Don't think that they can move the ball and score, period, the end. So even with the three points, don't think they get there. Tennessee versus Cincinnati. Tennessee is giving up three and a half points here. I'm confused on this one. (laughs) What? They're giving up three and a half points to Cincinnati, and that's it. I was expecting like a six and a half, seven, at least, against Cincinnati. Yes, I'm taking Tennessee, giving up three and a half. That's a no-brainer in my opinion. I think this is the, the lock of the week, to be honest. Las Vegas taking on the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland's giving up three and a half here, and honestly, I like Vegas. I like Vegas getting the three and a half. I'm picking Vegas. Go with Vegas. Don't think that Cleveland Brown exactly knows what they're getting themselves into with a, with no number one wideout anymore. Moving on to the New York Jets, Kansas City. I'm not touching this game at all. The spread is 21 points given up by the Kansas City Chiefs. That is three touchdowns. I'm not... Listen, I don't know. I don't think... I don't know. That's three scores. A lot can happen. A lot can go wrong for the Kansas City Chiefs to only win by two touchdowns. Or maybe they just give up a touchdown at the end of the game. Like Defenses don't care at the very end of the game. Los Angeles Rams taking on Miami. The Rams are giving up three and a half here. I'm actually not liking this whatsoever. I have a feeling that The Miami Dolphins are going to give the Rams a little bit of run for their money. They're not going to win. But I don't know if... I feel like that half point is somehow going to screw the betting line. Or the spread, rather. New Orleans taking on Chicago Bears. New Orleans giving up three points here. This is honestly probably the game of the weekend I dislike the most for the simple fact that I don't know if Michael Thomas is going to play. I don't know if Emmanuel Sanders is going to play. Probably not. I don't know if Allen Robinson is going to play. Probably not. But there's just so many things that are up in the air right now that are pivotal. I mean, for Christ's sakes, if if, if uh, Chicago doesn't get Allen Robinson, like, are they even going to be able to move the ball offensively? Probably not. If New Orleans goes without... Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. Can they move the ball against Chicago? I mean, this legitimately might be a three-point game. So I'm not loving this game at all to bet on for this week. San Francisco-Seattle. Another game. I got to be honest, I'm passing on. Seattle is giving up six and a half to San Francisco. I don't like that at all, actually. At all. Thought this would have been a much tighter spread than six and a half. Giving it an interdivision game, saying that <sighs> shit, I might even I might even take San Francisco. 
The only thing that San Francisco doesn't have is Debo Samuel. But Seattle's defense didn't just get better overnight. Their defense still ass. And although they score a bunch of points, I think San Francisco can take the ball out of their hands and really eat clock. Honestly, if, if I'm going with anybody, I'm going with San Francisco getting the six and a half. Dallas taking on Philadelphia. Philadelphia is giving up three points. I'm going with Philly. You might have a seventh round pick being your starter if you're Dallas. I think that Philadelphia can really make a statement with this game in the NFC East that they are the top losers of the NFC East, but they're still going to win the division. So, like Philadelphia giving up the three points. LA Chargers taking on Denver. It's even. Um, yeah, I like the Chargers all day long. All day long. No reason. <laughs> well, big reason. Justin Herbert. Love him. Think that he's a really great player taking Chargers. Pittsburgh Steelers taking on Baltimore Ravens. I think this was very disrespectful, to be honest. Thought this would be a tight, tight, tight spread. But you're... <laughs> the Baltimore Ravens are giving up six and a half points in this game. That's disrespectful. How in the fucking God... Are the Baltimore Ravens giving up six and a half points to a team that's undefeated? What? I can probably, honest to God, fucking say that no Baltimore Ravens fan is going to go out there and say, oh, this is a lock, and give up the six and a half points to the Pittsburgh Steelers and expect to win. I'm baffled by that. So, uh, nonetheless, I'm taking the Pittsburgh Steelers getting six and a half. Thanks, thanks for the free points. Last but not least, Tampa Bay playing the New York Giants. Tampa Bay is giving up eight and a half to the Giants. Like Tampa Bay giving up the eight and a half. I think that this is a, at least a two-possession game. Touchdown and a field goal. Ten points. Could be 17 for all I know. 13-point game. Something like that, but I like Tampa Bay. To wrap things up, giving up the E and F. It's a wrap. That is going to do it for Fantasy Football Friday Week 8 Edition. I'm so thankful that you guys all hung out with me throughout the duration of the podcast. It's been a hell of a time. I hope I've given you guys all the information that you guys need to know going into this week's games. If I haven't, please reach out to me via my social media platforms. I'll be sure to get back to you to help those start-sit lineups. Again, I appreciate y'all. Thank you so much for sticking with me throughout the entire duration. Until next time, be safe, be easy, peace.